0: children have been white noise for us I think after a while so we notice them when it's quiet in here right we had a lot of kids this morning praise the Lord amen man I love kids kids are life kids are life well we're back at it we I am hoping that we're going to finish this by the end of the year because I'm, I'm I'm not gonna lie I, I reached the point where like I'm I am tired of preaching on Mark but I can't go too fast because I I'll be honest. Some some of this is for me too, right? I mean, like I'm I'm learning this and then learning this and teaching and and the Lord is showing me things in between and, and so like I'm enjoying it, uh, and I, it, almost like it's like my own journal, so to speak, of just of of the Lord speaking life into me and revelation into me through through the Book of Mark and and then sharing it. Uh, one of the places where I thought it was neat is is uh, 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 I looked back at an older devotion uh, today that I had done in the past about Hebrews and in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, this morning, I was reading in my own devotion, you know, that I had done previously a few years back where it was talking about the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in my devotion, I was talking about how much that means to me in my journal, how much it means to me that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the reason why is this, because the one thing I think that I've kind of grown fond to, or, or if there's anything that I have, uh, sank my teeth into or or how would you say it like, you know, kind of fish hooked into and holding on to it, is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for me that means that the things I long for, the things which I long for, the things I read in the book of Acts, I wanna see the revival. I wanna see where we can preach on repentance and sin and watch people be added to the church daily. I wanna see when when People like Peter can go, silver and gold have I none, but what I give to thee in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. You know, I, I want to see those things. And to me, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then it's okay for me to hang on to things that I've read and go, God, you did these things then. I want to see those things now. And uh, somebody said something the other day that reminded me of that. They, they were talking about this guy had put a sign up on the back of his Jeep that it said, hey, looking for a hero my sister needs a kidney. Apparently he, he wasn't a match, but he had put this whole like ad on the back of his car for his sister who needs a kidney. And they eventually some guy uh, called it up, called the number on the back of his window and decided to help in this area, which I thought was awesome. Right. Well, one of the girls next to me had said, man, you just don't see that today. And I wanted to say, excuse me, like maybe you don't. You should probably go to church. Honestly, that's what I wanted to say. I didn't say that, but that's what I wanted to say. Like, you should probably go to church. Because if you go to church, you'll see stuff like that. Because let's be honest, if the longer you stay in church, you're going to see miracles. If you hang around God, if you hang around Jesus, it's going to happen. And I, and I started thinking about that, like how much I don't ever want to go away from the church. Because I don't ever want to be a place where I don't believe in the miraculous. There's so much hope in the miraculous there's so much dreaming that can be done when we serve a god and we hang around with this god who does miraculous things right so we have this idea of reality well reality says that this can't happen these things can't happen this doesn't happen this doesn't happen but but we hang around jesus so what do we think man cancer can be defeated what do we think Well, kidneys can be given what do we think man god might just reverse the whole thing and just make your kidney brand new i mean you know because we hang around god who does stuff like that right And because we hang around a God like that, those things aren't all that unnormal to us. So for her, she she was so shocked. But I was like, you should probably go to church. If you went to church, you'd witness crazy miracle things all the time. I see miracle stuff all the time. To me, every time I see somebody get saved, I think it's a miracle. Because I know how hard that is for a stony heart to all of a sudden grab the flesh. It becomes soft and pliable, and God starts to work with it again. That's a miracle it's a miracle. So we're only two chapters away. We're still in 14. I can't get us out of there anytime fast. We still got a couple probably even weeks in chapter 14. I want to get us there but listen we got to slow down. We got to take our time through some of this. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 14 in, in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to cover the Last Supper. This is going to be the last time that Jesus will sit with his disciples at fellowship and he'll, have a, he'll sit there over a meal prior to his death. And this image, uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it portrayed throughout all sorts of art throughout the years. There's many different depictions of what this is supposed to look like. So hopefully, at least this morning, we'll see it with our own mind's eye. We'll have a better idea of what's happening at the table, as well as the gravity of the whole situation. So we're going to pick it up. Mark 14, chapter 12. I think we'll read uh, around like to 26 or so. Say amen if you're there. Oh, we're quiet this morning. So if you came into this church, I'm just going to remind you, uh, we are Pentecostal, which means you can yell, you can shout, you can say amen really loud if you want to. You can, you can say preach it, you can say, what, you know, we're okay, so when, if I say, hey, say, you don't have to get quiet on me. We're not Baptist, all right? We're not Methodist, not Episcopalian, we're not reserving our emotions. You can be emotional here, it's okay. You saw how we just have kids come up during the announcement. All right, we're pretty free here. We're pretty free. So if you're there, say amen. Amen. That's a lot better, right? That's a lot better. It's like we're awake. We're good. All right, on the, verse 12, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up, and that's where you should prepare a meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from the bowl with me. For the son of man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better if that man had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out. To the Mount of Olives. So, in coming to fully understand the gravity of the season that was upon them, it's important that we understand a little bit of Jewish culture. All right? It was the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. This was happening just before the Passover. Now, most of us know what the Passover is. It was the time when the angel of death kind of swept through Egypt, right? Only those houses that had been placed the lamb's blood over the doorpost, right, they were passed over. And those that didn't, well, they didn't fare so well, right? And the, this would be the final draw in pressing Pharaoh to let the Jews go. So, and, and since there were great fear, right, in what the Egyptians still might do, because they were kind of always teeter totting back and forth, uh, uh, they didn't. It, it, their their exit was so fast and so speedy, it was kind of to the extent of it was so fast they didn't have the time to put things like even in the ingredients into the things that they had already had laying out right they, they had bread that they had started to make but they hadn't even put the yeast in yet so they had to leave and and get out of there really quick right so they had this unleavened bread that that, that is left over when they left out of there that's all they had to eat on their journey as they exited so the uh this this in memory of this uh, uh in memory of this like speedy exit uh this event would be called the feast of unleavened bread And it was a cultural staple, totally designed to make sure that the Jews always remembered not only what God had done, but how he had done it, all right? It's during this feast that a a, a normal Jewish family would celebrate by leaving uh, bits of uh, bread hidden throughout the home for the children to find. They kind of made it a fun game. The children would search out. Uh, and throw away the bread in the effort to get rid of all the yeast in the house. It was kind of a fun little thing because during this time they were going to get rid of all that. You had to get rid of all these things so that you just had the unleavened bread. It was cultural. It was there to remember. It was good stuff. It was traditions. Uh, it taught the Jews the difficulty of a lot of things, specifically in this case, because we know Jesus used yeast to talk about sin and how sin is. Once it gets in the dough, it can't get it back out. It's gonna. You're going to see the effect of it, right? So as they did these things, and as they practiced these things, it helped teach them uh, and teach the Jews about the difficulty of removing sin and, and, and how, how it's impossible really to eradicate it, right? And so ultimately this festival is just completely symbolic and it teaches the need for the Passover, right? Which, what would able to get really all the sin out? What cleans all that away? Well, the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. So you could be passed over because you can't really get it all out. Right. So this is this is what's going on. Uh, This is where we begin, we begin by looking at the the cultural stamps that are happening in their in their culture. Right. They're reminded of being of the difficulty of removing sin. They're reminded of their oppression under Egyptian rule. They're reminded of a lot of these things by these traditions and um, by seeing the culture that God created within the Jewish people uh uh, he he created this culture that constantly reminded them of his power of who he is it wasn't a personal thing it wasn't like hey only your family celebrated this no this is culture everybody did this if you were a jew everybody did this every celebration they did every celebration every part of their history was a testimony to the greatness of god Right from the time they were born, think about this, to their last breath, their cultural celebrations were designed to root them in the truth of God and who God was, right? By the way, we could take a page from that, right? We could take a page from that. So the scene's kind of set. This is the scene, right? This is what's happening around them. As they are looking, this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is what's happening around the town, right? Uh, 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 they're just looking for this place to have the Passover meal. You can probably get a picture of this. The children are kind of running around from house to house trying to get rid of all the yeast in their houses. People are preparing to celebrate the Passover. They're remembering their history. It's not a somber time. It's party time celebration. It's not, it's not like a sad time. It isn't, it, it's a joyous one. It's a time where they're reminded of who their God is. They're reminded of what he's capable of, right? The, the disciples of Jesus, and they, they like, they don't have any idea because, right, Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, he doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a home. It's not like, hey, let's just go rent the pavilion. He doesn't, he doesn't have that opportunity. He's like, uh, where are we going to observe the Passover? This is what we do. We've been raised as small children. All the disciples, Jewish, they've been raised as small children. This is what they do. They all know this tradition, right? Even Jesus does, right? So they simply ask Jesus, so where are we going to do this? Where are we going to have the Passover meal? Where are we going to do this, right? And his answer is a little forthcoming, I think, a little bit, and it's bizarrely prophetic, right? It should be somewhat familiar because Jesus is kind of scary specific, right? Uh, he remind. it reminds me of when he told him to go get the donkey. Do you remember that one? Right? There's just some guy he's waiting up for. You. you tell him the master had needs of the donkey. Good luck with that, buddy. Right? Who does that? Hey, yeah, some random guy here. He's holding his donkey, just, just sitting there. And some guy comes up to him that he's never met, says, hey, master has need of it. You know what? Here, take one of my most valuable possessions. Nobody does that. I don't see y'all handing your keys to the car out to anybody just come ask you. I just want, because, I I mean, let's just be honest. If you didn't know me and I came up to you in the Walmart parking lot and said, listen, Jesus told me that he needs this car. (laughs) After you're done spraying me with pepper spray, um, that's really how it would go. Be honest. Come on. Right? Jesus kind of flexes his muscles here. He tells them that, you know, listen, there's going to be some random guy you meet. Uh, How will you know him? Well, he'll be carrying this pitcher of water. Follow this guy that you see carrying a pitcher of water. Okay, I'm just thinking I'm just trying to be real like we read this stuff all the time and pass over these facts As if they're not the miracle And i'm like wondering what world do you live in where this is just the stuff you do now? Listen, I want to be super spiritual as well But if you told me hey, there's there's gonna be a guy when you go into town He'll be walking outside with a pitcher of water. I'm thinking you got to be good You got to be good or you know somebody's schedule you know uh, it's pretty specific, right? Did the same thing with the donkey. Hey, there's this guy. He's holding a donkey. Guess what? It's going to be mine, you know? Bring it here to me, right? I, I have to believe when I read stuff like this that there's no such thing as happenstance with the Lord. There's no such thing as coincidence, right? Jesus knows all. Jesus names the man. He names the actions of the man. And, and all these minor details that are going to lead them where they will go. Now, if Jesus knows these things, then Jesus also knows his own future. We know that he does, right? It also stands the reason if Jesus knows the future, he knows yours too. Jesus wasn't surprised at Lois Ann's passing. Jesus called Lois Ann to pass. He called her up. Jesus knows. Isn't that comforting? At least a little bit, right? There's this deep truth that's happening right here in trusting God. The God who knows all, right? He knows all, not because, by the way, he's not divining it, all right? He's not like looking in the crystal ball and seeing what happens, right? He's not shaking the eight ball and going, will this guy be here carrying the water today, right? It's not going to be like that. Jesus knows all. He's not divining the future. He knows all because he creates the future. He speaks it into existence. Think about that. He created this man. To one day hold this pitcher of water that would eventually lead them to the room where they would need to be. Right? Every decision since the birth of this man, right? God has intervened in the means of this man's life so that he would be receptive for that moment and lead the disciples when they would come to find him to the place that would create this iconic moment that we would be talking about today. Think about the details of what God has done. He has raised men up from birth to create these moments. Think about... How all that plays out, how great God is. Listen, that, that is a, like a, a hole that we could mine that we could never find the bottom of. If I begin to just talk about it, we could spend the whole couple hours talking about all the thing God had to start from the very beginning, the little tiniest of seed and watched it grow, and then all the decisions that have to get made to lead to this moment right here. That is the strength and the power and the magnificent of God. We see it in just idle words of Jesus coming out of his mouth. It's, it's awesome. That's a deep truth, though. That's a deep truth, but we got to keep moving. The second part of the equation here is when Jesus asks you to do something, what do you do? His disciples obeyed. Now, here's the simple truth. Jesus tells you to do something, you have a choice. You can either do it or not. What you do is up to you. You can see what the disciples do, and in doing so, they witness the power of God. Look at what Jesus says. He just says we're going to see some guy randomly walk. We'll know it when we just see this guy walking around with a pitcher of water. He'll lead us to another guy that's going to show us where we're supposed to be. So we just got to watch for what Jesus has told us to watch for, right? Where are we going to have it? This, listen to my words. This is what I'm telling you, and then follow them, and you will see, right? It's, 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 listen, this is the same commitment that separates the disciples from the world. And it makes them known to others that they're followers of Jesus. After all, isn't it Jesus who says, By, everyone, uh, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you what? Love one another. We'll, well, listen to what John would go on to say in his epistles. John would go on to write that this is what love is. He goes, And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. They will know us by our love for one another. John says, our love for one another will, show, will reveal our obedience to what you say. So when we do what Jesus asks us to do, if he says, go do something, it seems meaningless, right? Hey, I need you to go look for a man who's walking around with a pitcher of water. This pitcher of water is going to lead you to another guy that's got an empty room over here. This is where we're going to have it. You have a choice. You can do that or not do that. But listen, if you do that, it shows what? Not just that you're obedient, but obedience means what? That you love me. Love means we trust him. Now, right now, it just means something menial, like small, it seems right, right? Jesus, where do we go have our food? But later on for them, it's going to be Jesus, where do we go lose our life? It always starts in small things. By the way, God' decisions start small. You know, it's the Bible that says you be faithful in the small things, right? Greater things will come after, right? Responsibilities, all these things, right? So listen, you have to be faithful in the little things. Lord, where are we going to eat today? Well, this is what you need to look for. All right, I'm going to be faithful in that, Lord. I'm going to be, keep, be faithful in these things that really don't cost me much because there come a time where I need to be faithful in the things that do. These are little subtle things that we just don't pick up on. We're so busy focusing on food and the supper and the table and all the artwork is trying to picture all of them together. We have our minds already on what the idea of the Last Supper is, and all these things that we miss—all the human things about Jesus. All the—I I know that I get fixated on this because all the time, the, the hardest thing I always have to do is make Jesus human. As weird as that sounds, it's hard to make. I don't know. I haven't—I haven't witnessed any of you spit in mud and let somebody see. I haven't witnessed any of you bring back people from the dead. All right. So like, and you know what? I don't expect to. Why? Because the reality of it is, you're human, and unless God lays hands on somebody and really does that, you know, we can pray for them and all those things, but ultimately we know that what? Jesus does everything, right? I, it's easy for me to see Jesus as God. Totally easy. And I buy into him as spiritual and deity and all that. But what I love always is seeing Jesus in his humanity, because when I see him in his humanity, he becomes my friend. He becomes something closer than just, I guess, there's always to me this gap between God is here and i'm here but jesus is here he's right next to me jesus is god that has come down now and says no longer is this gap between you and i am up here You're right here right and it starts as little things and we see jesus t- just in the little things right here if we listen to him in the little things we'd be faithful in the small things right We listen to him when he tells us these little things, and we trust him in this area, right? That God is working all these things out. And it's by our love. They'll see that we love him when we just obey him. So, listen, so they've arrived at the place. Now the dinner table's set, right? The unleavened bread is laid out, and the Passover meal kind of has begun. And listen, I don't care what photo you ever saw of the Last Supper. There's no way I'm buying into that this was a somber time. There's no way this is a sad moment to me. I always see, like to me, I always see Jesus at the center, and there's this long table. I hope that's not true. You know how difficult it is to talk somebody way well on the end? I mean, you got to talk up, and it's loud, right? I want to believe that they're all close-knit. And if you look at most like films that display Jewish culture, especially older Jewish culture, they're always usually on top of each other. I mean, and it's, it's, not, it's not unlikely of them that they kissed each other on the cheeks and things like that, so an intimacy between them is not unlikely, So, I I also was thinking, you know, have you ever seen us around a meal? Come on, Wednesdays? Do you think, I mean, you not see how we are? You think we're just sitting here all sad, somber? No, we're laughing, smiling, our kids are doing dumb stuff. I mean, it's, it's funny, right? I mean, there's a lot of things we laugh about. We, we care for each other, right? We all have gathered for a reason. We want to be around each other, right? And this is the, moment, the, same, the same thing that binds us together on Wednesday. We come together, why? Because we want to be around Jesus, and we see Jesus in each other. Well, guess what? They actually have Jesus. <laughs> so they're all hanging around with their best friend. Everybody there is best friends. Like, when I say best friends, I mean like, you know, for in the military, one of the things we did is we shared a foxhole with each other. So, uh, one of the guys I, I, I literally camped with for a week while I was out in Colorado was my squad leader. I shared foxholes when I was 19 with that guy, and I shared a tent with him here at 45. It was really a surreal thing, right? Well, can I tell you, uh, the disciples and Jesus walked together for around three years. They slept everywhere together, they walked everywhere together, they, t- they, they saw all the miracles because they were right there next to him. Let me tell you, they bonded. So when they hung out, they were friends. They laughed about things. They joked about things. They knew each other intimately, right? This moment with the disciples isn't any different than our moments. They're hanging out. They're having a meal. It's a good time. It's a Passover time. They understand the significance, right? Jesus is their friend. He called these men their friends. Matter of fact, by the time you get late into John 17, John reveals one of the prayers of Jesus where Jesus says, I pray not for the world. I pray just for those you've given me because he loves his friends so much. So I always picture uh, uh, this as, a, uh, as an upbeat night. <laughs> I do, right? But also know that the weight of what is coming is sitting on Jesus. And maybe one of the most human things that he can do in this moment is reveal what he knows. Because it's a weight that's on him. Hey, I'm having a good time. This is a great time. spending all my time with you. I do know my time is getting shorter with you. And this is weighing on me right you ever like been in that conversation where something else is in the back of your head that's kind of weighing on you like that's how i see this moment right here and it eventually makes its way to the lips of jesus right where he says one of you eating with me here will betray me can i tell you that changes the mood of the table <laughs> that changes the mood of the table it goes from relaxing to quiet <laughs> just like that and cuz that's a serious accusation and it's really more than that right It's prophetic. And Jesus has been prophetically right so many times that you know what he's saying is true. I mean, he just told you prophetically where to go and get the room. And now he's saying this. The next comment should be really the big shocker of the whole paragraph, of all of this in context. Because it's not, I can tell you, it's not what I expected. The Bible says that they took turns asking this question. Am I the one? Guys, I said they took turns asking it. It's not like Judas said, what, me? No, he didn't say that. They took turns asking that question. They all wondered if they were the one that was going to betray Jesus. They all believed it could have been them. They all believed it, right? Somewhere deep down in their hearts, they thought that it was possible that they were going to betray Jesus. Think about it. They all searched their hearts. It was a moment where they were just being really completely honest with themselves. And this is the lesson on depravity if I've ever seen one. in the humility of the disciples of Jesus pertaining to their own hearts, right? If the heart of man is like what the prophet Jeremiah says, deceitfully wicked, is it possible then that any one of them will betray Jesus? I mean, this is what they grew up understanding. They heard the prophet of Jeremiah. They wouldn't know Jeremiah's words. And this is some amazing clarity. Last week, we talked about becoming Judas, how anybody can become a Judas. By the way, that's what they thought, too. Before you thought that was just Pastor Jim's notion of it. That's what they thought, too. Think about them going one by one. John, the disciple whom God loved. Looked at Jesus and said, is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? Think about Peter, the guy who's been asking all the questions, who you know because you get the armchair quarterback version where you know how much he's going to lead the church and how how really hardcore he is about Jesus. But guess what? He says, is it me? Am I going to be the one? Or what about Matthew, who writes a great gospel to the, to the to the Jews? Am I the one? Think about how they go around there. Think about how... All of the disciples sitting there, all all the good, James, who would have his head cut off because he's such a strong preacher, right, leads the church. James, Peter, and John pretty much lead the church in the book of Acts. They become the leaders. And these, all three of those guys at some point go, is is it going to be me? Am I the one? So if you don't think, first of all, this is a lesson on humility. If you don't think you can betray Jesus, you are mistaken. You do not know your heart well enough. Can you be the one? I, we talked about this last week in becoming Judas. All of us at some point become Judas. All of us at some point are guilty of compromising our Christianity for the things our flesh wants. We all do it at some time or another in our life. There's no way anybody's not guilty of it. Are you continuing to do it? Are you doing it every day? Maybe not, but have you ever done it? Yes, you have. Everybody's been Peter. Everybody's been a Judas. Everybody's either denied Christ at some point or, or just betrayed him altogether. For whatever your pleasures your body wanted. Because our heart, like Jeremiah says, is deceitfully wicked. Not a single, single apostle had the audacity to think, well, it ain't me. And you shouldn't either, by the way. I was thinking about this with Jesus knowing who it is. Maybe this is kind of just some notes I made off to the side. Maybe in some way when others plot against us, Jesus in this moment has a trust that God's got this thing worked out, right? That he knows that the betrayer is going to work into the hands of God. When we know that others are going to plot against us, we see in Jesus him trusting the Father with the outcome. Jesus is trusting that this thing that's going to happen is going to play into God's hands. Maybe this is what inspired Paul to say that all things work together for good to them who are called according to the purpose, right? Them who love God, who are called according to his purpose, right? Maybe this is what inspired Paul to write that. Maybe this is why when people come against us and when they persecute us, we should trust that God will work this out. And even if I die, it plays into the hands of God. Maybe it might make it harder to love our enemies to know that sometimes winning means losing. You hear that? Jesus doesn't win this battle, right? He hits the cross. But in losing, he wins. Sometimes the battles that we face, and I'm just giving you this outside of notes here. Sometimes the battles we face, by losing we win. That's hard to do. The American in you is not known to be a loser. It's like anti. From the time you're born, man, you're born with the idea that you're a winner. You're a westerner. Right? As soon as you go to Europe, they all hate you. Why? Because you're a winner. Right? I mean, like from the time we're born, we have this arrogance and pride about our nationality and all these things in us, right? But sometimes, sometimes by losing, we win. Sometimes it's smart to keep your mouth shut. Like Jesus. When everybody's accusing you. And you know it's not true. But you're going to trust God. It's going to play into His hands. Why? Because Romans 8.28 says what? All things... Work together, right? All things, which means everything. Every good and every bad works to what? Your advantage. Do not lose your Christianity. Do not betray Jesus. Trust him. Trust him, right? Trust him. Jesus wasn't finished with this whole thing, you know. And and one of maybe the neat things, that one of the other things that I was just thinking of offhand is that when they were so convicted here, am I the one, am I the one? This is why we see in Acts chapter 1, uh, uh, Peter go, Judas was one of us. One of us. Because it could have been any one of us that betrayed him. Right? They all thought it. That's why there was no exclusion. You know what? Now that we know that he's a betrayer, he's out. Judas was never out until Judas killed himself. He was always an apostle until he killed himself. And then his death, they replaced it after his death. But he was not replaced before. He was always one of the twelve. One of the twelve. That's the love of God. But Jesus follows up this whole statement. He follows up this whole thing. was saying it would be far better for that uh, uh, man if he had never been born. Now that's rough. Especially from Jesus, right? One thing I can tell you is that it's not a threat. Jesus isn't going to harm Judas. It's not Jesus that sets the motion uh, for Judas to have what, what would eventually happen to him. He would never he loved Judas. Remember, we talked about this in Becoming Judas. It's the reason why he received the kiss, because he knew it was coming. He knew right here who was going to betray him, right? And when the kiss is coming, he knows it's any time. Why not just reject that? If you already know somebody's going to backstab you, I don't know many of you that were just like, I'm going to go hug them. I'm going to hug them before that happens. That's how I'm going to get them back. I'm going to kill them with kindness. None of you do that. You're like, I'm not about to hug them, right? No, no. Jesus loved Judas. He allowed the kiss because he loved Judas, right? He would never have hurt him, right? However, the amount of self-condemnation, of self-guilt, of self-loathing that's going to take place in the life of Judas will be the very thing that ultimately leads him to killing himself. He can't take what he did. He can't forgive himself. He literally hated himself to death. I mean, how sad is it? When our actions are so horrifically bad, our decisions are so horrible that we think the world is better off without us in it. If this doesn't teach us that every decision we make is an important decision, I don't know what does. Every decision we make is important. And just like that, Jesus is done talking about it. By the way, that seems to be such a dinner killer. But he gets it done. He talks about it. He gets it off his shoulders, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like okay, I'm done. We've talked about it. It's out there. I don't need to talk about it anymore, right? He stuns them right? and then just moves on. It's, it's, it's almost as if he's reminded that his time is short, all right? My time's short. I only got so long with you guys. I got to make the best. Let's just make the best of this, right? It's time to be really intentional. It's time to remind them of what's coming, right, and teach them how to remember, Right? Just that God had celebrated in the days of Moses, he had created these ideas or these traditions like Passover and Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Jesus says, I tell you what, how about I give you some new traditions? All right? So in this moment, I know it's just somber, but let's make it a good moment. Let's not end it on a low note. Let's end it on a high note. It's kind of what he's doing. He says, so, so basically, he says, all right, here's, here's something that you can remember. And what does he hand them? Well, you know, he hands them communion, communion. Right? He hands out the bread. Says, This is my body. It isn't coincidence that he broke it into pieces and handed it out. We're to partake and benefit in the body of Jesus. We're all parts of his body, each of us. It's Paul that expounds on this well when he wrote to the Corinthian church, who was actually practicing communion. It says, When we break bread, we aren't sharing. Aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we will all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are what? one body his body one body we are one body united with christ as the head every time we are to take bread together right we are to remember, same thing, feast of the unleavened bread. What do they remember? That sin cannot be come out, right? That yeast needs to come out of the unleavened, right? And they can't, it's hard to get out. They've got to get it out, right? Otherwise, this, what's happening? Angel of death is coming. The Passover is coming, right? Those that only have the blood will be able to be passed over, right? So God says, new tradition. You are my body. I need to teach you that you are my body, that you're all part of the same body. No use in fighting amongst yourself. Listen, the arm doesn't just punch itself in the leg. That's dumb. If somebody walks around punching themselves, what do we call them? Mental, right? We send them to hospitals, okay? You're, something's wrong with you if you're punching yourself in the face. That doesn't make sense, right? Nobody punches themselves. The, the body of Christ shouldn't be punching themselves either. Amen? Amen. How many, how many people have left the church because they, their body, the body is punching themselves? How many times have you heard it, man, uh, in the church that the church kills its wounded? <laughs> I mean, sometimes the church can be the most unsympathetic thing, which is bizarre because you're part of the same body. It's like hating yourself. Jesus sets up this tradition, just like the Feast of the Unliving Bread is a tradition in the culture that is going to make them remember communion. And the breaking of the bread will be that as well. And then Jesus drinks from the cup. He says, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and His people, it's poured out as a sacrifice for many. This, this is something He just said over the Passover meal. Again, just told you what the Passover is. We talked about it in the very beginning. right? The disciples would have picked up the reference here being made. The blood to which will become the new covenant will be in direct connection With the Passover, Jesus is the Passover lamb. It will be the blood of Jesus that we spiritually wash ourselves with so that when death approaches us, or more importantly, judgment, right, we will be passed over due to what? The blood of the lamb. I used to see people used to tell me all the time, and I don't know where it came from. I used to like look in the Bible really hard trying to find this. They're like... Uh, I used to see it on tracks and all this kind of stuff. They'd be like, well, you know, when you get to if you if you're going to hell or you know, you're gonna to have to stand before judgment, and then it's like a movie's gonna play of all your good and bad deeds. And I was thinking, really? Like where is that? Like, does he got surround sound? Does he have like a movie screen? What is God looking at here? Can I see it? Am I able to see it? Like I never understood like that comment. Cause I always just say, But I thought I was covered by the blood of the lamb. Well, you will, be, you'll be covered over the blood of the lamb, da da and, and you know, God won't. I, I would always say like, well, if I'm saved, I pretty much don't have to worry about that, right? I used to think, I, so what I've you know what I've come to tell people? Yeah, okay, so, so God pulls up the screen. You know what he's going to see? Blood red. That's all he's going to see. He'd be like, I have no idea what you did the entire time because this blood, it just is covering the whole thing. I can't see any good. I can't see any bad. All I can see is what? The blood of my son, which atones for all sins. So when I look at your life, all I see is the blood of my son. That's all I see. So you're telling me, God, all you see is Jesus. That's all I can see. So that God says, enter in, good and faithful servant, because not because he sees me and all the great works I did, it's because he sees his son and all the great works he did. This is why I love the, the writer who years ago, it, it's not a hymn, but he pin the words right we fall down we lay our crown at the feet of Jesus why because revelation talks about how we will receive crowns one day and all these things and I heard somebody oh I'm going to get a jewel in my crown all these kind of things I was like man if you had any humble humbleness in yourself at all you would never wear a crown how could you around Jesus when you know as well as I do not one single nice thing ever came out of you that didn't start with him and if you don't think that then something's wrong in your theology not I, but Christ in me does these things. Therefore, I can't boast. Boast in what? I was lost. I couldn't do anything good. And then Jesus came into my life. And now through Jesus, I am able to do things that I didn't want to do before. that I didn't have the heart to do. Or if I did, it would have been for selfish means. I would have done something nice, bragged about it, right? And, 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 then, and then would have received the reputation for such things. It would have been a vain thing. This is, this, is, this is the Lord. So this is the blood of the Lamb. It covers us. It's, 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 it washes over us. I love the, uh, the old song that says, It washes us white as snow. There is a, there is a section in Revelations where I've used this uh, in funerals because it's a future where the Apostle John sees all that are saved. And I always think I, I, it was a place where years ago I used to say where's my part in all this right i 'm trying not to cry talking about this, but i had a there was a moment where I used to pray to the lord lord where's where's my part in all of this what 's my part in the church what 's my part and one day he 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 took me into the revelations, and I think it's around chapter it might be four or five or maybe it's 12. It's, it's around somewhere between three and twelve all right um he says uh, the angel took John up And he says, who are these? Who are these people? And John said, "Lo, there's a multitude there singing. And and, and he goes, those are those who have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. They're clothed in white by the blood of the Lamb. And they're there singing praise and glory and honor. God said, that's you. You're here. He gave John a glimpse of the future of heaven when heaven is full with the saints. And you wonder where your place is in the Bible. It's right there, doing your part, singing praise and honor and glory to the Lord, to the King of kings and the Lord of hosts. John saw us sitting there, singing and praising the Lord. That's our part. Why? Because we were made white by the blood of the Lamb, it says. That's what it says. That's who we are. He washes us white as snow. This is a tradition That Jesus would establish in his church this new covenant church he was creating, right? With his body so that they or their children or their children's children would remember what had taken place, right? The Feast of the Unleavened Bread is there to teach their children and their children and their children's children and so forth from generation to generation what happened as they came out of Egypt. The Passover is there to set up for them to understand what it takes to be delivered from sin. So in the same way that God creates these traditions and says you need to celebrate. Here's why you celebrate. So that you remember, right? Jesus says to them, this is what we're going to do so that we remember why we're here so that we remember why the cross is going to happen so that we remember why the Son of Man must die. We remember why He was betrayed, right? And why Jesus kept His mouth shut. It is all coming down to this and so that we would not forget it. He says here is your tradition so that every time you do it you remember and so when your kids ask you like why are we doing this this is why we're doing this and it's your job to teach them why we do this so that we remember as his bodies are we are his body we are all one body under the head of jesus christ why the blood because his blood is what makes the passover happen for us it passes our it washes us clean it allows us to have forgiveness and be atoned before the Father. It challenges me. This is the kind of stuff that challenges me because I think, man, Jesus just like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. This is We're going to set this tradition in my house. That's what he says, right? And his house is pretty big, right? All who are in Christ. But it made me think, right? What, what, are, what are you doing? in your house, to remember the truths of God? When you're raising your kids, when you're passing it to your friends, what are maybe some of the things that you're doing? And if you're not doing something, let me encourage you to start, right? It's never too late. <clears throat> How about just reading the Christmas story around Christmas? I know it's, it, it's something that we do at our house. Listen, it's not a sin if you don't. It's just good to do. We'll, we'll read the Christmas story at, at our house just so that we hear the whole birth of Christ and how everything happened, how we get to that place, right? And we make sure, like, just like most people do, the two biggest times of the year are Christmas and Easter. Why? Because we remember. Listen, if you don't show up on Easter, it's not sin. You don't go to hell. <laughs> but here's what can happen if you start to fail to remember those things, right? They fail to get passed down. And the great truths that have held us together become the things that we lose over time. They're staples for a reason. Not, again, not to convict you of how big a sinner you are if you don't participate. They're there to help remind you of the greatness and the glory of God. And how much he loves you. Jesus was born to die. When we at Christmas, we, we were reminded of that. We're reminded that, listen, as, as celebratory as Christmas is, as laughter as it can be, and our kids are so excited because they get presents, all these cool things that happen at Christmas, right? It's this kind of bizarre time to me. We're celebrating a child that's going to be born into this world just to die because we're so awful. But when we remember, Christmas reminds us that Jesus loves us, that he said he would do it again, man. He has, and Jesus has no regrets, by the way says, totally worth it. My gift to you this Christmas is the gift of life. My gift to you this Christmas is the gift of salvation. My gift to you this Christmas is the gift of the gospel. Right? And when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Jesus' gift to us again. The gift of eternal life. A future forever with the Father. Where we take our place in the book of Revelation as those clothed in the blood of the Lamb. Who are singing praise, glory, and honor to the King. Can I tell you, communion must have been just what the doctor ordered. Think about it, right? Because right after that, uh, right after they literally had wondered, am I the betrayer? Jesus just leans in. He teaches this new tradition. This tradition would have them close out the night with a song. Come on, man. That's a bizarre. How many? Is, I mean, like, that's a weird dinner table time. Hey, we're having a good time. Have a good time. Somebody's going to betray me. Boom, boom, boom. And then we go around the room going, don't lie, you'd be looking at everybody. (laughs) I never did like that Matthew anyway, man. He was a tax collector. Sorry, Joker. Everybody knows he'd be working for the Romans. You know, I mean, (laughs) I'm sure they were way more holy than that. (laughs) But come on. Look at the absurdity of the moment, like, right? I mean, like, yo, Jesus, we was having a good time, bro. He just like got slammed that down on us. And this is just like, well, how about I just, we, let's just do communion. All right, I got to teach you this thing real quick. Hey, how about let's back it up? <laughs> how about we just finish the first thing you brought up before we move on to the second thing? It's like Jesus can feel like, hey, this is kind of heavy. Maybe we should move on. Well, you think? Come on, man. Right? I, I, I can't imagine them like, hey, so let's just close out the night with a song. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I mean, you're trying to like be in a good mood while you're thinking about this whole betray thing. Please don't let it be me, Lord, betraying you. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But I still don't imagine them being sad because I think Jesus is one of those that can turn the tables, man. At least in my experience of knowing Jesus and being with Jesus, Jesus gets a good laugh in. If you don't think so, you haven't had kids. Jesus, Jesus gets a good laugh in occasionally from time to time. And, and I think Jesus is able to swing the tempo a little bit better, right? He does this communion thing, it seems, but they, they begin to sing this song. It, 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 you know, they, they basically are it's singing, right? He's still leading them in this moment. He's still leading them. He's very intentional about all, right? So he brings this thing up. It's heavy. But then he moves this thing into teaching because he has all their attention now, doesn't he? Right? One of you is a betrayer. Are you listening? Now I'm going to teach on communion, all right? He has their attention, right? Teaches on communion. He gets them there, right? Then he sings this song. Hey, let's just close out with sing this song. All right, awesome, man. It's cool, right? We do that here. Right after here, we're going to sing songs, right? So we do that here, right? He's still teaching. He's still teaching them and leading them, right? it's 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 so interesting it's so interesting how the mood just shifts and then and then he creates this this whole other thing that that would become a tradition and 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 he lines it up right at the same time of the festival of the unleavened bread and the passover all this is being lined up to teach them and 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 so that they would understand and ultimately so that they would remember this moment right so that they would remember eating together. Remember this moment that we have here, this personal moment, right? I'm, I, it says this is the last time he's going to be able to eat with them before he dies. So this is a, a heavy moment for Jesus. He's soaking it all in, right? Because he knows I'm going to have to go do some things where my mind's going to be completely on those things. I need to I need to soak all of this moment in. I'm going to enjoy all of your company in right now, right? But I want you to be prepared. So I'm letting you, I'm giving you some prophetic information. It's a little heavy for you. You're not going to get it right now, right? And and then and then I'm going to teach you something because I, I know that my time's limited. And I want you to know that why I'm doing what I'm doing, that you're part of my body. And I want you to, when others do, you're going to be able to teach them this thing that, that is between us. And you're going to share the the intimacy that's between us. It's going to overflow out of us, guys. And it's gonna meet everybody else. And when it does, I need you to teach them the things that I taught you. So this thing about us being part of the body, one body together. I need you to teach them that. And this this tradition of of every of, of it all being for the blood and the, the blood of Jesus and the Passover. I need you to I need you to teach them that, guys. And this is gonna be a good night. It's a good night, it's a good night with my friends. Let's close it out with a, with a song. And this is how he closes it, right? And this is the Jesus who is all God and also all man. And in this whole moment, it comes alive. We see the humanity in Christ. We see the deity of Christ, both in this moment. He knows things that only deity would know. But he acts in ways that humanity makes it comfortable Right? He's both God and man in this moment. He's enjoying his time. He's enjoying his friendship. He's enjoying it. Now this morning, I'm going to set us up with some communion before we get into the worship. So I've got my guys getting ready here. I can't think of a better time to do it. I mean, come on. We're talking about it. He's created it. Well, I just told you why we're doing what we're doing. Right? What is the bread? The bread is the body. What is... The, the cup, well, the cup is the blood that is poured out for us. If there was ever a time where we bring understanding to something, we bring understanding. One of the things that we haven't been a big, uh, and you, you see, most of you know this, but we haven't been really big on like, well, first of the month, we do communion every first of the month. Because the problem has been, at least, at least in my opinion, right, has been that we take a lot of these traditions and we don't take them serious. They're just something we do on the first of the month. They're just something we do once a month or once every other week or they become these things. And the thing is, is I don't think, I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. I think traditions are a good thing and there needs, we're going to do communion always, but I don't ever want to get to the place where we do stuff just because this is when we do stuff. Oh, we take it on the first month or the end of the month or whatever that day is, second week of the month, third week of the month, whatever that is, uh, because that's just when we do it. And it's just another thing we do so that we make sure we're doing everything by the book. That's not why we do stuff. We do stuff for the same reason they do stuff, right? Because it means something. There should be a heart connection that when you take communion, you are like the apostle sitting there in that moment, looking at Jesus, listening to his words as he's teaching us, like knowing and having the fullness of understanding that this tradition is set up not for you just to partake in, but also to pass down. By the way, you don't have to be in church to do communion. You you can teach it to others. You can do it at your home. You can observe communion anywhere, right? What is communion? It's an ordinance set up by Jesus to remind us of where we stand in the Lord, right? We are His body. We are covered in His blood, right? This reminds us of everything He's done. It reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of His work. It reminds us of His glory. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. It continued on when it goes on to the book of Acts. Out of the four things that's listed in Acts 2.42, communion is one of them. It's mentioned. Baptism, communion, fellowship, and meals. They shared that together. The Bible says prayer. Really, those are the four things. Fellowship, prayer, uh, communion. What's the other one? Baptism. Those are the things that we see carried in the book of Acts. By the way, Everything else is up for debate. All, by the way, nobody preaches for 20 to 30 minutes. You know that? I never see it anywhere. They do a lot of public preaching. You know, how many of you are ready to go stand on the street corner and just listen to somebody preach? Because that's a whole lot more happening in book of Acts than anything else. There's a whole lot more house churches in the book of Acts than any kind of church with a building and a name on it. My guess then is that the churches in the book of Acts did not have a 501c3. And I bet they had to pay Roman taxes, just saying, which I think are probably more than taxes we had to pay. Just saying. Uh, there's a lot of things. And by the way, we as a church, one of the things we've talked about many times is we are going to focus on the four, and then everything else can be up for debate. We will baptize here, which we have, right? We, we will uh, do communion here. We are going to be a people of prayer, and we are definitely going to be a people of fellowship. Right? Our church is geared around those four things. Outside of that, everything is up. We can even debate how much I talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can. We don't have to have a service schedule. We can do it however we want to do it. Because there's nothing that says, well, when they got the service schedule in Acts, they realized this was the time to speak in tongues. No, nobody got that. Right? There's no altar call. People got saved as soon as they heard the word, actually. How about that? Right? Today we do this. Today we remember. We, like the, the apostles sitting right across from Jesus, we take, we take of the body, right? We take of the body. Let's take the body. We remember that we're one body. And from the cup we remember that he poured himself out for us. His blood washes us white as snow. Thank you, Lord. Let's take the cup. Have we texted Joy yet? <clears throat> the Bible says that they ended it with a hymn. And Joy's got a couple of songs. We, we're going we're gonna to do some worship this morning. And, and uh, we're going to end it on a high note, right? That's what they did. They ended, communion wasn't somber. Where they just remembered, oh, he died. No, he finished communion with a song, and it was upbeat, and they left there feeling pretty optimistic. The whole betrayer thing, I think, you know, once he did the whole communion, had that kind of stuff got behind him a little bit. I think, I think uh, his his apostles are a lot like us, like, well, that was so five minutes ago, like that was you know the betrayer thing, that was a five minute conversation that lasted that was a while back. He's, Jesus said a whole lot more since then, right? And so he brings it up. They're getting ready to to sing and. And uh, I think about these moments where uh, I would just love to hang out with Jesus, like in those moments where he's just with his friends and he's just being him, you know. All right, man, I got a keyboard behind me. Let's see if I can get my wife. Let's stand as we get ready for worship this morning.